beautiful downtown Milheim. In the smack-dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 11, What's in the Box This Week, CSA in Central PA. But before we get to the fresh vegetables, I wanted to thank you. Last weekend, Seen Through a Glass hit 3,000 total downloads, a significant milestone for a podcast this new. Um, especially one that's not presented by any kind of celebrity. Seen Through a Glass continues to grow, and I know a lot of the reason is because you are telling your friends. Thanks a lot, and please keep it up. This week's episode is largely about CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. It's an idea that gets things back to the way they used to be. People buying their vegetables directly from the farmer, with no middleman, no long transportation times. There's not even the minimal overhead expense of a farmer's market. We're currently subscribed to our third CSA, and each one has been a different experience. The first one was an organic farm in New Jersey that delivered boxed shares to our small Bucks County town every week in the summer. A heavy load of everything from garlic to watermelons to golden beets, leeks, and tomatoes. It was easy. It was beautiful. But we felt like the connection to the farm was missing. The next... Anchor Run was close to our then home in Bucks County, and I still remember how I met the farmer by random chance. We were both having solo dinners at the bar of a brew pub in Waltham, Massachusetts, and got to talking. It was weird to realize that while we both were very much engaged in the idea of locally sourced food and drink, and lived only eight miles from each other, we'd met in a town 300 miles away. But I got his card, and we did join the CSA. That one required members to do work on the farm as part of the share price. So we weeded, we picked, we sorted, and we tried to get it done early in the season, so we had some choice in what we did. We picked up at the farm once a week. The produce was set out in bins, and on honor, we moved down the line, picking and weighing by the instructions, two bunches of this, three pounds of that, sometimes nine pounds of tomatoes, and one precious half-pint box of raspberries. There were flowers and herbs some week as well. I went a bit crazy on dill and hot peppers. Now we're members of Hidden Branch Farm in Ahrensburg. Last year was their first season, but we picked up a good box of stuff every week. Farber Corey's fond of potatoes, and we had six different kinds last year, which was kind of fun. Hidden Branch balances the CSA experience for us. There's no field work, but we do see Corey every week, and sometimes his daughter or the dog or his wife Michaela, and we get the rundown of what's in the box, what's particularly good that week, and what's coming up. Corey sat down with me and talked about how he got into farming instead of fracking, and about the vegetables he grows. You'll hear that interview, and one with Bethany Hinkle from Spiral Path Farm, a much larger CSA down in Perry County. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. I thought about this choice a lot. I wanted to do a drink that was connected to the CSA topic, And we don't really have any brewers or distillers in the area that grow their own grain, that I know of anyway, although some of them do use local grain. There are wineries, of course, but I'm still a bit shy on tasting wine. We started a wine club with some friends last year, and I'll get there. But cider seemed perfect, especially since I had some Plowman Farm cider, made from apples grown in their own orchards in Aspers in Adams County, which um, seems like a good time to let you know that I've decided to stretch the scene-through-a-glass definition of central Pennsylvania to include York and Adams counties, mainly so I can talk about the snack makers of Hanover and the apples that are plentiful and delicious down there. That's not a bad thing, right? But I'm not drinking yet, so let's talk about that cider. What I have is Plowman's Dabinette Roxbury Russet Cider. 
a young apple from the old world meets the oldest apple of the new world. Dabinet, England's most reliable cider apple, is relatively young, brings deep apple richness and a lingering toffee note to the finish. Roxbury Russet, discovered in Massachusetts in 1635, brings a tart freshness. The cider was aged in oak barrels for more than a year, 65% Dabinet, 35% Roxbury Russet. And that's about enough words. Let's try this. Uh, I'm looking at it, and it is a a gorgeous uh, straw color, clear, carbonated, and you can smell a bit of barrel on the nose, but definitely apple, apple skin. But you can almost, I mean, you can almost smell the crunch of the apple. I'm going to have a, a sip here. Mm. Now, it is a dry cider. This is not at all a sweet cider. There's a lot going on here, but at the same time, the dryness makes it appealingly refreshing. Um, so what am I tasting? I'm definitely tasting apple skin, a a fairly, well, no, a definitely tart apple, uh, nothing overwhelming. And I am getting a bit of that toffee note that they talked about, and definitely some uh, some oaky dryness in the end. Uh, this is what I think of as a as more a culinary cider. Um, this is not a a sweet happy cider. This is a more introspective one. Think of drinking a a dry a dry white wine. Uh, you're not there for munching on grapes. Just like this, you're not really here for munching on apples. This is a way to get to that. It's quite different from the usual the usual cider selection you get. Much as dry wines are different from a lot of the wines you'll get in Pennsylvania. I'm liking this. I'm going to finish it. Best of all, Plowman will deliver cider, or apples, or a harvest box, a CSA-like selection of in-season fresh vegetables in their area. And Philadelphia delivery is in the works as well. So it's a great choice for this episode. Let's get back to that with some explanation and some history. I love history. The CSA idea started with, well, there's some disagreement about that, actually. Of course, you go back far enough, people grew their own stuff. Or maybe they didn't. We don't really know far enough back. I do know this. My great-grandfather grew produce and butchered his own beef cattle and hogs, and he sold a significant part of it to people directly from a horse-drawn wagon, which is pretty close to what a CSA is today. As cheaper, faster transportation and tractor-assisted farming and hybrid crops exploded across America in the early 1900s, that model largely went away and we were buying our food in stores from hundreds of miles away. How did interest in returning to that model, to my great-grandfather's farm wagon, grow to the point that Spiral Path Farm has over 1,700 members in their CSA program? Rather than pick one source or another, let's say from the start that the American CSA model grew out of several sources. One may have been the Takei movement from Japan, a cooperative of women and dairy farmers that started amid food purity scandals in the 1960s and grew to embrace the idea of food with the farmer's face on it. Pooled capital, shared labor, and direct purchasing were hallmarks of this. It sounds good, but there were two early CSAs in New England, both of which are still operating, that started before the Takei model reached America. They trace their origins to European models of farmer-consumer cooperation. But wait, there's more! Booker T. Watley, an agriculture professor at Tuskegee Institute, developed a plan in the 1970s for profitable farming of produce 
on small farms that included a membership club and a pick-your-own component. And this was well before the first designated CSA farm in the U.S. So who started it? Well, looking from the outside, I'd say the farmers at the CSAs started it. Everything else was just advice. But I do think that one thing Professor Watley said rings very true. He was of the opinion that agriculture colleges had failed small farmers by telling them to grow what the big farms grow. Even someone like me, the guy with the black thumb, knows that's a model for failure. Small farms can't compete with big farms at what big farms do best, grow a whole buttload of one thing. CSAs grow a lot of things in smaller amounts, and they're largely things that you can pick, wash, and put right in your mouth. The appeal is immediate. Let's hear that first interview with Corey Sweely at Hidden Branch Farm. He's got a good story. We sat down at Milheim's new coffee shop, The Meandering Mallard, to talk about it. Hi, uh, I'm here with Corey Sweely, who's the guy behind Hidden Branch Farms CSA in Milheim, Pennsylvania, Aaronsburg, kind of right on the line. Yeah. Uh, how you doing today? In full swing right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's planting season, huh? Seeds, and yeah, we'll soon be planting stuff outside. Before I ask you anything else, because I know people are going to be wondering this more than anything else, can people still get in and subscribe for a share in yours? They can, yeah. I have, I believe, eight spots left for this year, and there's a few spots available on the Monday CSA as well as the Friday CSA okay. that we offer. Yeah. And and do you do um, pickup only? Do you deliver? We do pickup at the farm, which is right here in Milheim. Yeah. Or you can pick up at, if you subscribe for the Monday CSA, you can pick up Tuesday at the Holzberg Farmer's Market. Or um, the Friday CSA, you can pick up Saturday at the North African Farmer's Market. Okay, cool. And they, what, just look up Hidden Branch on the, on the web? Yep, yep. Facebook, Instagram. We do have our own website. It's www.hbfproduce.com. Okay. And any of those ways, they can just get in touch with you and then go yep. from there. Yep. Cool. All, all three of those places has a link um, that will take you to our online store. Okay. Cool. And we're already signed up. But <laughs> so, And this, what, what year is this for you? This is the second year doing the CSA, so we're... We're beginners at it still, um, but six—I I mean, it ran pretty well for six, us last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, sixth year on my own farming okay. in general. So. Well, then let's let's do that. What is your background? Is this like um, a family so thing? I, I actually grew up on a dairy farm. Okay, um, hereabouts sold that. Yeah, right in Spring Mills. Okay, um, family dairy farm. It was actually my grandma Paps. And they ended up selling it in 2008. So I was, yeah, I was 12. I got to experience some of what was going on there. Helped a little bit. And I've, I've always had that interest in mm-hmm. farming. Then in high school here at Penns Valley, I got a job at Patchwork Farm, which oh, is an organic right. um, produce farm and greenhouse. They do a ton of bedding plants. Okay. Worked there through high school, um, through college, and then... I went to Lock Haven University, got a bachelor's degree nice. in environmental geology. And really, when I graduated, it was fall 2014, I wanted to get in with the shale gas drilling. Oh. That pretty much all shut yeah, down that year. That. that year, it all shut right. down. Worked at Patchwork for two more years. Didn't really want to move to Texas or California for oh, a job. Man. I love this area so much. I wanted to stay right here in central PA. 
just decided to start farming because I always had that interest. And with Scott and Eda at Patchwork, um, they kind of helped me get going. Okay. And, and a I mean, little bit how of the much, How much land are we talking about? We're doing about eight acres right now okay. in production. Getting back to where I probably should have started, we, CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, what is it? What does it mean? So it's it stands for Community Supported Agriculture, pretty much where I offer a share of produce later on down the road, a box. We, we put $25 worth of um, produce in our box. The customers purchase that in the winter months, the winter or spring, when the farmers aren't really making much money. So we're putting the money in up front. So you're, yeah, up front, which is helping us out with all. So we spend all our money in the winter time purchasing all the seeds, the soil mix, um, fertilizer, all that stuff, the insurances for the markets. We don't really start making money a little bit until May. And what, what's the, what's exactly. the consumer so, out of it? So the consumer, they pre-buy the boxes, so they're pretty much, they're helping the farmer out, but then they can rely on that fresh produce for those 22 weeks. It's fresher than anything I'm getting in the we, supermarket. Yeah, 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 we pick it that day. We have two harvest days at, at my farm. So Monday we pick everything for the Monday pickup CSA, mm-hmm. and then Friday is another pick day. I mean, this is our third CSA, and I still remember the first time we got a box with lettuce in it, and I was just like, this is the best freaking lettuce I've ever had, because yeah. it was just so darn fresh. If somebody gets a, a, a share, what say in, I don't know, what's peak season, like July, August, what's going to be End in the of box? July, August, yeah. Um, so typically that time, my, I would say I'm more of a traditional farmer. I do I do have other stuff like kurabi and fennel, um, stuff that people don't really know <laughs> what to do, what to with, do with much. It's a or ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do a lot of tomatoes, a lot of potatoes. Yeah, I know we probably have two, potatoes. two yeah. acres of potatoes, <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is cool because they're all different. They I are, think yeah. We got like six or seven different we kinds do, of potatoes. We grow six year. different kinds of potatoes, yeah. yeah. Lots of sweet potatoes. We're still trying to master sweet corn, but trying to do it organically is really, really hard. Yeah, because it just floats everywhere. <laughs> it right? does, yeah, yeah. yeah. You do you do berries too? Lettuce, berries. Yeah, we're really getting to the fruit now. Um, a lot of raspberries. We're gonna have strawberries this year for the first time. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the other? Oh, we planted blueberries last year. Awesome. So we probably won't have a lot this yeah. year. Um, but in the Takes a while years. What really makes their eyes light up when they see it in the box? What's their favorite? I would say just the variety of stuff. Okay. Like we always put just all the colors. Um, oh, there's yeah. usually there's always a green in there, um, whether it's lettuce, spinach, Swiss chard. We're growing collards this year. I guess kale that can be in that group too. Uh-huh. So we always throw one or two, mostly two greens. I guess head lettuce we do do head lettuce as well. So green we always throw a starchy thing like a potato. What's really really pushing? I guess like the tomatoes. Oh, whatever's coming on. Whatever's gotcha. really coming on yeah. in numbers, um, but generally. Speaking, the first person to get what we're because we we have a smaller CSA, we only give out twenty shares. So, like if the radishes are just starting, or if the tomatoes are just starting, I'll put all that in the CSA instead of taking it to market. Oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, yeah. So, you mentioned fennel and kohlrabi. I mean, are those things that? And another thing, every CSA I've ever been in, garlic escapes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen them before, uh, which is the example for me of the whole, I don't know what the hell this is, but on the other hand, 
I've never had this before. Let's try it. You so know, it's kind of both. Yeah, a lot of the reasons that you have always got garlic scapes <laughs> in your box is because that early part of the season they start um, like the beginning of June, which still that time of year there's not there's not, not a huge variety. Yeah. yeah, there's really only eight things at that time of year that we even have to put in the box uh-huh. or take to market and sell. So you gotta have until some. July. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's just one of those things. <laughs> And we have found, personally, we trim that end a little bit and just throw it in a pan and cook it like asparagus. Oh, just okay. saute it real quick. Um, okay. Then just eat it yeah. whole like that. I mean, you can chop it up and make, um, put it in stir fries or well, throw it in roast. Like, I wound up putting a lot of it in soup. Yeah, just soup. chop it up and throw it in soup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing CSA and farm market. That's got to be more satisfying than just putting stuff in a box and shipping it off to a mark to a a wholesaler or a supermarket it it is yeah like i guess i left that out of the beginning part so my first two years of farming we actually sold to tog okay as a wholesaler Uh um we did um michaela my wife and i we did sugar snap peas and that's only like a five week season Uh and then you're done and we picked yeah we picked just under half a ton but it was it was just like it was like ten pounds shy of half a ton. Dang. So wow. Yeah. Um, and you do one crop and you never talk to anybody. One, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We literally would pick. On, it would take ten hours to pick them. Wow. We, we had that many planted. Yeah. It was a whole day. And she broke down a couple times. She's like, "Why do we have to do this?" That's and I was like, you nuts. "And we had to give them like a quota, like say we'll we'll bring fifteen boxes tomorrow." Uh huh. At the beginning, I was like, "We need to keep looking." Keep <laughs> so, but this way, you get to actually see the people that are going to be eating the stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 To communicate, get to um, learn more about the customer, and it's for me, it's time away from the farm too. So it's kind of like oh, a little. Right. Yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy the whole growing part, but I enjoy going and communicating mm-hmm. and interacting with people as well. So. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much. That'll do it. And I'll, uh, I guess I'll see you soon. Okay, perfect. All right. Thanks, Thank you, Lou. How does a CSA actually work? It's like a subscription. You pay the farmer a set amount up front at the beginning of the season. A few CSAs will allow you to join in mid-season at a prorated price. Spiral Path does. It ranges from a couple hundred to maybe 500, depending on where you are and what the weekly share or box has, and whether you pick it up or it's delivered. A share may be enough for four people or more. Many CSAs also have the option of a half share. And hey, while most CSAs are about produce, there are CSAs for eggs, milk, cheese, meat, and poultry. There are even some beer CSAs. Stoneman in Massachusetts has been going for more than 10 years on that model. In any case, the upside is clear. For the customer, you're getting astonishingly fresh food, often in more variety than you're accustomed to. You don't have to look for great produce in a bunch of different stores. It's all in the box. It's washed, it's often organic, and there are usually suggestions on how to prepare it, especially when you get something a bit out of the ordinary, like ground cherries or kohlrabi or the curly, green, omnipresent garlic scapes. The upside for the farmer is just as clear. CSA payments roll in right when the farmer needs cash. That can cut down or even eliminate the need for a bank loan, And as Bethany from Spiral Path Farm said, not having a loan is a blessing. But part of a CSA is that you're also sharing the risk of farming. Spiral Path has it right on their website, quote, 
We employ irrigation methods, but sometimes circumstances beyond our control, such as hail damage or severe temperatures, may cause a partial or total crop failure. When you decide to become involved in a CSA, you may experience the ups and downs of the land. End quote. A CSA will try to fill in other places, but sometimes things just don't go well. You'll share that risk. Bethany explained that, along with what it's like at a much larger, much older operation than Corey's Hidden Branch. It's another coffee shop interview. We did it at Kingdom Grounds in Elliottsburg, down in Perry County. Let's hear that. I'm with Bethany Henkel from Spiral Path Farm in Loisville, is it? Okay, yep. great. All I know is I came over, I think, three ridges to get here. <laughs> we were right in the valley there between all the mountain yep. ranges. <laughs> yeah, I looked uh, I looked at the map to see what was around and not really much. <laughs> nope, we're yeah. a lot of farmland in this community. Yeah. You are the CSA director for Spiral Path? Yep, I run our CSA program, sort of organize what's going in the share boxes, the trucking for delivery of that, and then I also run our farmer's markets down in D.C., Wow. See, this is like I, I, I mentioned before we started the interview, I'm still getting a grip on how big Barrel Path is. How many acres are you farming? We have 300 acres on the farm. It's mostly farmland and greenhouses and then a little bit of woodlands and some fallow lands that we just grow hay on that aren't very, that are too hilly or just aren't very good for growing produce. Okay. And, and a lot of your produce goes to Wegmans. Is that Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it goes to Wegmans. We're a major organic producer for them. We are definitely one of their first partner farms for their organic department in their produce section. And then it's split after that between our farmers markets and our CSA shares. And then anything left over, we donate to local food banks, local animal shelters that take in farm animals. And then the rest that is grayed outs goes to our compost to just continue the cycle of growing vegetables. (laughs) That's great. One thing I wanted to ask early on, is it still too late to get in for a subscription? Absolutely not. We have two more weeks until our our total season membership starts, and then our summer memberships don't start until June. And you can join our CSA at any time for a prorated price that's reduced by oh. the number of weeks you've missed. So nice. it could be December, and you could still <laughs> sign up. <laughs> and that's... Website, Facebook, just Spiral Path? Yep, absolutely. Our website, spiralpathfarm.com. You can find information on there or just give me a call or email. All that contact information is on that website as well. I'm the front person that if you've got questions, it's coming to me. Awesome. All right. What area do you cover? As far, I mean, geographically for... So we actually deliver CSAs to six counties here in central PA. We've got Lebanon, Dauphin, York, Cumberland, Perry, and brand new this year. We're excited to be expanding into Lancaster County for the first time. So if you're in any of those counties, we've got 30 different pickup sites in central PA. And then we're also down near the D.C. area at two farmer's markets in Silver Spring and Bethesda, Maryland. So that's our main direct selling. And then Wegmans, obviously, is all over the northeastern border area there. So at any Wegmans store, you can find our produce when we're in season as well. And and it is all organic. You've been organic since when? The 1990s? 1990s. 78, I believe. Oh, oh wow. Oh, no, the CSA started uh, yeah, the, in the 1990s. Yeah. Right. Wow. So our organic certification started in 1978, but our CSA is only 29 years old. <laughs> um, so it's still pretty old compared to most CSAs yeah. in the area. 
uh, our original founder of the farm, Mike and Tara Brownbeck, were really concerned about working with nature to grow produce rather than working against nature with chemical-based products. Um, and they also could see the health benefits and the nutrient differences between conventionally and organically farm produce. So they really wanted to work with the land to be able to make the best produce for healthy community members around them. And now we're spreading that health as far as Wegmans doors are going and as far as we can take our CSA. That had to be one of the earlier organic farms in Pennsylvania anyway. Yes, we were definitely forerunners in organic farming in our local community, um, especially with the CSA. Nobody else was growing CSAs at that point that were organic vegetables. Because I I know a lot of people still don't know what CSAs are, which is part of why I'm doing the episode. Explain to me what a CSA, well, what it is and what it does for the farmer and what it does for the consumer. So it's a mutual relationship between a local farm and their community members where the community members agree to support the farmer for the duration of the season with prices locked in at the beginning of the growing season. And then throughout the season, the farmer and his farm crew agree to plant, grow, harvest, wash, and deliver the produce, or at least for us, produce to the members. Uh, There's different farms. We at Spiral Path just do produce, mostly vegetables, with a little bit of fruits mixed in there. But in the central PA area, we are blessed to be flooded with CSA options. We've got honey, we've got dairy, we've got meats, we've got flowers. I know you were just at a maple farm. I'm sure there's probably a maple syrup CSA somewhere (laughs) out there. Um, So we're very blessed in that way to have a lot of direct relationship opportunities for the community with their local farmers. And A great benefit for the farmers, well, there's two big ones. First, if they get money up front at the beginning of the growing season, they don't have to take out a personal loan to buy stuff like seeds, new machinery, new materials for the growing season. Uh, Not having to take out a loan is a big blessing as a farmer. And then secondly, they have assured customers for the duration of their season. You know that that number of customers and your supply and demand is not going to go down. If anything, it's going to go up from there. So it definitely helps as you judge how much of what crops you want to grow for that season, especially for us as a vegetable farming where whatever you grow is what you got. <laughs> you can't grow more, yeah. more or less uh, less than that unless nature says you're not growing right, it this year. <laughs> right. Well, and that was one of the things I wanted to bring up. One of the things I noticed on your website when I was looking at it, you were very much right up front that if the harvest doesn't come through, you know, that's a tough year. Absolutely. We are 100% working with nature. So that is working with nature in order to improve the nutrient levels and improve our crop growth. But I know even last year we planted an entire field of Italian melons and something happened to them where only mm-hmm. five melons grew out of the entire oh, field. No. So we didn't oh, have no. Italian melons in our CSA last wow. year. Thankfully, we do grow 67 different types of vegetables on our <laughs> farm. So if one's missing, people aren't very <laughs> upset. <laughs> And wow. a lot of our more popular items, like the tomatoes or zucchini, something like that, we have different varieties of. So if one's not doing too hot, the others, the others are going to make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. What, what are the 
and I guess it's it's hard to gauge since the same stuff's going in each box, but what do people get excited about? What are the favorites? Our favorites are definitely our sweet items. So strawberries, uh. melons, and corn. Everybody gets super excited for those seasons just because they're something that you don't tend to have all year long and they're really sweet, fun to enjoy. Our other more popular ones, every single week until it gets too cold in the end of November, December, we include some sort of salad mix, either mm. butter lettuce, mixed greens, and the members just love having that c- consistency there mm-hmm. of the salad mixes. And then also for those who are very into smoothie making stuff like that, they get super excited about our kale. They always say our kale is the best kale out there. Okay. <laughs> so they love that. One of the biggest benefits is you know your vegetables were harvested within the last day or two. So they're going to last a lot longer than that lettuce head that was shipped across the country to yeah, you. Yeah, you really don't know the difference until you've tasted it. Absolutely, yeah. And that's a big thing for Spiral Path Farm. We care a lot about our soil. It's our baby that we nurture on our farm. And because we care so much about the nutrient levels in it, we are consistently saying, we will dare you, we will bet you to find another farm whose produce tastes better than ours because the nutrient levels in your soil go right into those plants and create the flavor in them. So without those nutrients, it just loses that enjoyable flavor. Nice. I don't want to say what vegetables are unpopular because, I mean, I know we always, we eat everything. Um, What are the ones that I guess people are are not used to or curious about or ask like, what do I do with this? First one that comes to mind is fennel. A lot of people are familiar with the herb top portion of fennel, but we give out the fennel bulbs, which I hadn't even seen until I started working there. It legitimately looks like a four-year-old's hand that's like white with green fingers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, since I'm in charge of writing the recipes on the back of the newsletter, Mm. I looked at this thing. All I could smell was a strong liquor scent. I was like, what in the world do you do with this? So I took two of our customers down in D.C. and I the ones that were buying it, I was like, mm. so what are you going to use this for? Because I don't know what you Smart. use it for. And a lot of them started recommending different cream recipes to put it over fishes, a lot of sauces for fish, and a lot of fish-based soups that they put it in. So, I mean, that's definitely one of those areas where the mutual relationship between the farmer and the community helps out because they gave me recipes that's and great. then I can share with other members, hey, this is a recipe someone else tried. You want to try it? <laughs> The second one that comes to mind is bok choy. It's Uh, definitely unique compared to our other leafy greens like kales and chards. Once I let them know that that's the leafy green that's in their Chinese takeout that they were eating on a Friday night, they get a lot more excited and they're like, oh, you mean I can make Asian or stir fries and stuff at home? And yes, it's delicious that way. The third one isn't so much that people don't know what it is, but they think it's weird that it's in the CSA box is our dandelion greens. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are like, this is a weed in my backyard. <laughs> Why am I paying you hundreds of dollars to get a weed from my backyard? <laughs> And the difference is it's not the same as the dandelion greens necessarily in your backyard in that we actually are growing it for salad greens. So it's a lot bigger, a lot tastier, (laughs) and a lot of people underestimate the health benefits to your immune system that dandelion brings. So that's why we choose to grow it. It's not a super frequent appearance in our CSA boxes, but we do send it out once or twice a year. You do did mention recipes. You have over 400 recipes on your website. Is that yep. <laughs> that's got to be the product of like years of collecting recipes? Absolutely, yes. Uh, the a lot of them are from the founder of the farm, Tara, just because I mean she's been growing that exact same yeah. produce since 1978. Before that, before we even certified organic. Um, 
since it takes years to get that certification. And so a lot of it's from her that's been passed down and then eventually added to that online cookbook. And then a lot of it is also we have a link on our website that our members can send in recipe recommendations to. So a lot comes from that. And then also just our own research into cookbooks, trying new recipes. Now we've got Facebook, Instagram with reels of recipes all the time. And I've been trying them out this winter even uh, to add to the collection. And I mean, you mentioned our online cookbook. I know I have files after files of recipes that haven't even got <laughs> uploaded on there yet so if you ever need a recommendation on how to cook any form of vegetable just contact drop a line <laughs> yep <laughs> bethany thank you I, I appreciate you taking the time and wow keep up the good work <laughs> absolutely yeah our worms have been hard at work building our compost <laughs> all winter that we've been spreading and our greenhouse staff is back and the rest of the farm crew is excited to start here in two more weeks for our csa season coming up That's great. Thank you. Absolutely. It was great to meet you. (laughs) The benefits of the CSA aren't all tangible either. Getting food fresh from the farmer doesn't just taste better, it feels better. You've got a box of fresh food that was grown for you in land in fields that you can actually see as you drive by. It seems like it's also more satisfying for the farmers to grow a bunch of things and to see the people who eat them. I know I get a kick out of meeting readers and listeners. It's the same thing. Speaking of that, I ran into a listener recently who told me how much he enjoyed the segments where I talk about cooking. So let's do another one of those. Pulled pork and the uses of leftovers. My brother-in-law Chris's 60th birthday was last month and his wife Katie was throwing a surprise birthday party. She asked me to make pulled pork for 60 people. Ordinarily, I'd do that in the smoker, but it's in storage while we're prepping for the final phase of remodeling our home. I have the Kamado Joe, but it can't do four pork butts at the same time, and the weather was looking kind of crappy. But the oven works just fine, and that's what I prepped for. I went to Burkholders here in Milheim and got four good-sized pork butts. Contrary to what you'd think, a pork butt is the front shoulder of the pig. The ham is the back leg. The bone's a bit more complicated than the simple ball on thigh and a ham, and there's a substantial fat cap that needs to come off to do pulled pork. Wednesday night, I unwrapped the butts and got to work trimming. The first task was sharpening my knife. You don't want to be sawing at a fat cap, you want the knife to glide through it. I honed it till it could smoothly cut paper, my usual test. Then I went at it. The fat cap came off pretty easily, so I went ahead and cut out the bigger internal chunks as well. That's not going to juice the meat, it's just grease, and the chunks are kind of gross in the final product. Then I put the rub to it, using the common method of slathering a thin layer of store-brand yellow mustard all over the butts to hold the rub in place. I hit two of them with a Trader Joe's coffee rub, and the other two with bad-to-the-bone rub from the Spice Lab. I wrapped them all up in two layers of thick plastic wrap and stuck them in the fridge overnight. I set my alarm for 6 a.m. When the alarm went off... I got right to work. I set the oven for 225 and unwrapped the butts. I put them on rimmed baking sheets and one went in a turkey roaster. Our roasting pans are all in storage. I just had to suck the juice out with a basting bulb occasionally. I put my Thermoworks Dot remote thermometer probe in the thick one and got the instant read Thermopop ready for the others. They went in the oven by 20 after 6. Everything went fine and they hit the stall at about 3 o'clock. 
When you're cooking low and slow, meat will get to about 160 degrees internal and then stall out because the water starts evaporating off the surface, stealing energy from the meat. I was ready for this and wrapped them in foil, the so-called Texas crutch, to speed them through the stall. Except it didn't work. By 6 p.m., the meat was only about 170. There's no way to speed it up. There's no way to cut corners. I did bump the oven up to 235, but it was still 11 p.m. till the pork hit an internal temperature of 203 degrees. I don't know why it took that long. A bad foil wrap, the oven temperature's off, but I have found that if I try to pull before that, it just doesn't work and no one's happy. But this was good. When I grabbed the bones with a pair of pliers, they all cleanly twisted out. I let the butts rest for half an hour, and then it took me over an hour to pull all four, mainly because I only had one steel bowl big enough to handle it, and I had to chill the pork by batches to get it cool enough to put in Ziplocs. But by God, it was delicious, and I made myself a small sandwich and fed some bits to Pippin. It was a success at the party. Still, we had leftovers, and I knew just what to do with them. I have a Ropa Vieja recipe that I've adapted to pull pork. It gives a deeper roasted flavor to it. So I sliced up six peppers, red, orange, yellow, in thin strips, and cut an onion in thin wedges. I slowly cooked the onion and half the peppers in a Dutch oven in smoked olive oil. When that was softened up, I added a little more than a pound and a half of the pork, a can of chicken broth, a can of Rotel tomatoes and chilies, and a can of diced tomatoes, tomato paste, garlic, cumin, and oregano. The recipe calls for salt and pepper, but there was plenty of that on the pork from the rub. While that simmered, I gently cooked the rest of the peppers and a can of poblano strips in a skillet. After 20 minutes, I added these peppers to the stew, along with a cup of frozen peas and about 20 pimento-stuffed green olives cut in half. I added just a bit more broth to keep it loose and let all that simmer for about 10 minutes. I served it over rice, and it was just pretty damn nice, I'll tell you. talk about an event that's coming up real soon on April 15th. PA Flavor is happening at the Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg that Saturday afternoon. Get your taxes done and get on over. It's three hours, four if you have a VIP ticket, with over 30 breweries and distilleries, almost two dozen restaurants and food trucks, cooking demos from pro chefs, music. It's a ton of fun. Well, I've been told it is. I haven't actually been yet, but friends I trust have. And they say it's possibly the best beer event going in Pennsylvania in 2023. Check it out now at paflavor.com. Another beer thing that's going on is my appearances on the web TV show What's Brewing in PA with Glenn Macnow, a show that's in its seventh season. Glenn's a Philadelphia sports radio host on WIP, but he's also a beer fan and a partner in Conshohocken Brewing. His co-host on the show, Don, Joe Sixpack, Russell, has retired and decamped to France, living the freaking dream, and I've been filling in on some shows. Check it out. Just Google What's Brewing PA and click on the YouTube link that comes up. You'll see my appearances in the Season 7 episodes, bringing Central PA beers to the table, but the whole series is good fun. We talk beer, we talk bars, we talk with brewers and chefs. Glenn compared it to sports radio. He's the color, I'm the play-by-play guy. It's a good time. That's the show. Thanks to Corey and Bethany for the interviews. Thanks to my wife, Kathy, for some great research support on this episode. And thanks to Ben Wenk at Plowman for the cider sample. And again, thanks to all of you for supporting the podcast. 
There are pictures of the kinds of lovely vegetables the CSA can deliver on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll also find links to CSAs and PA Flavor and ways to contact me. I am 80% telepathic, so you can also try just thinking about it. I have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree. If you like the show, it's a way you can drop me a few bucks to help pay for tips for bartenders, gas for the Subaru, and the occasional beer. Thanks. The next episode? Eh, There are a couple possibilities, and the family schedule is a bit tight over the next two weeks, so we'll have to see what happens. I'll drop a few hints on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State. Thank you.